everybody, this is Justin Michael Williams with Motivation for Black People, interviewing young black creators and leaders who are making history today. And today I have on the other end of the line with me, I'm so grateful and excited for this call today, I have Terrell Alvin McCraney on the line. Now, if you don't know Terrell's name, I'm sure you do at this point because he co-wrote the 2016 film Moonlight, which was based on his script for In Moonlight, Black Boys Look Blue. He received the Academy Award for Best Adapted Screenplay and is currently right now the chair of playwriting at the Yale School of Drama. So if that's not a resume, you know, I don't know what is. But Terrell, thank you so much for being here with me today and taking the time to do this interview. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so you know what, I just want to jump right in with a question that I know like so many people probably have is how did this um, actually go from your script into being adapted into um, an actual movie? What was that process like for you? Um, I mean, a very swift process. The script had been around for a while and uh, a group called... Um, the Borscht Festival in Miami, which produces short films in and about Miamians, uh, had commissioned Barry uh, to make a piece. He made a piece called Chlorophyll with them, um, and I had written a piece for them too, a couple of pieces for them. Uh, one was called The Bus, and the other one um, was actually very similar to uh, Moonlight, but uh, about a young man running away from home. Uh, and... The, at some point, the executive produ producer, uh, Andrew Hevier, decided that, you know, Barry and I kept missing each other. Um, we, would, uh, we were in town around the same time, but we were never on set. Or, and so he just put In Moonlight Black Boys Look Blue in Barry's hands. Um, and then Barry reached out to me um, and said, you know, he, he'd been thinking about the script and, you know, had walked away from it, but came back and thought there was something really, really important there and really you know, thought that he could um, find a structure where the story worked better. Um, and he went away and sort of moved around a lot of the script and reordered it, and um, that's how Moonlight came to be. And, he, you know, about 30 days after after that last conversation, he said, you know, I think we're going to film this. Wow. So, it went really quickly. That's something unusual that we hear in Hollywood is things moving quickly sometimes. So <laughs> it's, it's good. Right. Well, I think it was because, you know, it was a con it, it just kept being a conversation until it couldn't be between a conversation between us until it couldn't be anymore. And how um, and I think Sorry, go ahead. No, it's okay. I think that's one of the ways in which, you know, I, I really respect um you know, people who work like that, who keep it about the art until it can't be about the art anymore. Mm, absolutely. And and how much of, I guess, the original script that you wrote was in your personal, was like your personal story? How much of you do we, do we see in that original script? And I guess then how much of that was then translated into the actual movie? I don't think there's much that Barry left out of Moonlight uh, that was in Moonlight, Black Boys Look Blue. That isn't there. I mean, there's a couple scenes here and there, but the over, but all of the characters, all of the, 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 um, the situations that were in the scene before, and even you know some direct, a lot of direct scenes are just directly in in the script. Um, and Barry extended the third section, which is a kind of creative uh, fiction, uh, a creative nonfiction. In that, you know, um, I don't grow up to be a, a drug dealer. Um, but a question of, you know, what would it be like if we had, if I had grown up that way? And I think, you know, so those are the, those are the real sort of shifts mm -hmm. from the original. But there, I mean, he kept the poetic life of the piece and, you know, 
the scenes, all of the scenes that you, you see are are from that space, and he really kept preserved them and 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 put them in and kept them in that structure, which is why it was again a very easy process, because it wasn't as if he was sort of um, trying to take anything out; he just was trying to find a uh, the right vehicle for them. Mm, okay, and how much of what we're seeing then is is your story? Um, I'm just curious because I think uh, one of the conversations that I've been in with some of the writers and and creative types that we've been interviewing on this series is just the ability of of using writing um, and creating art to express yourself and see yourself um, in media and on film and as a form of healing. So how much of that was your process um, in writing this script? Um, I wish I had. I mean, I wrote I wrote in room in Moonlight Black Boys Look Blue when I was 22, and my mother had just died. Um, and so I don't know necessarily how much of it was about healing, but certainly about just sort of getting things out. Um, and I think a lot of the, a lot of what, you know, a lot of what I have to explain to people is that, you know, I, and, and I still hope this to be true. I hope Moonlight is a place where people can come and share their experiences and see, and see parts of themselves and identify uh, with with parts of the story, but you know it is one perspective. It is one. Um, it is a very specific story about a specific kid growing up in a specific place, um, and it is not to represent all stories about you know GLBT or black uh, black communities, specifically black poor communities. Um, and and the hope is that we it allows other voices to um, to come alongside of it. And to and to make a, a bouquet, if you will, uh, of stories about uh, those young people. So it's based in certainly the verisimilitude of of my life and and of Barry's life and growing up in Liberty City. Um, and the hope is that it allows other people to be um, to feel rooted in in sharing their own experiences, whether it provo- provoked you to do that or inspired you to do it. Mm, yeah, no, this is amazing. And I think one of the things that I remember so clearly after watching that movie and, and wiping tears from my eyes and then watching it again with with more friends and then watching it with my mom, you know, is it was amazing because I, um, I, I remember saying, I feel like I saw m- myself at different parts of my life in each of the main characters, you know, and for the first time, I, the reason I brought my mom to actually see it, I said, I want you to actually see, like you can actually see what I was, a, a piece of what I was feeling as a young gay black boy, like growing up. Mm. And um, so many of my friends had this conversation and my mom and I have had like many conversations about what it meant to grow up in, in this kind of a way and the similarities. But I think for her to actually see it and the, not just see it, but in the way it was shot and directed to feel it, I think was something mm-hmm. that so many people in my community at least discussed and experienced. Um, so I love that you say that. It's, it's just about, you know, giving us an opportunity to share our experiences and opening it up. So thank you so much for that. Oh, no, thank you. But also, again, I think, you know, if it weren't for Barry's ability to do that, I think, you know, we, we would have missed out on it. I think, you know, <clears throat> the script had been around for a long, long time, and it, it just took a director who understood how to make that experience happen in the in the medium of cinema um, to make that palpable. So, you know, um, I, I'm, I, the experience was a 22-year-old kid trying to really, you know, wrestle through some 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 memories, and I think it took, you know, some adults to really try to find a way to plant us in that in a in a responsible, 
and um but also powerful way mm-hmm. and what do you um where do you stand like right now in terms of the the work that you're creating today and how does that how has that moved forward from what's happened since moonlight obviously i know you wrote it a while ago but i mean where are you now after the success of this film and and the voice that you're trying to bring into the world well, I'm literally sitting in my office in New Haven and, you know, reading lots of applications for our um, our playwriting program. You know, we take three playwrights every year. And we get, you know, somewhere up to 200 to 300, 200 to 250 applications. Wow. We could, we could get. Um, and, and, you know, I think it's just really important to make sure that um, my students have a place where they can come and explore and, and, and really practice putting their um, experiences on the page um, and putting the experiences of the world and the, that they can imagine on the page and, and also seeing where that can lead to, whether it be in, in theater, um, which is, you know, we're a theater practicing school, but also, you know, we make sure our students are prepared for, um, or hopefully prepared for the world, the growing world of media and television um, and film. Um, be it streaming or network. So, you know, I really, I really t- t- took to heart the moment um, that I was in, which is that, you know, I have a chance to help other voices reach towards their goals and their and, and a platform where they can, you know, express themselves and be seen and be heard, and but also be in community. I think one of the things that was really important to me is that who was seeing the movie and who's seeing my work as a playwright um, and how do I get those people and to engage and to be in full conversation. Mm, absolutely. And I think that the two things that I actually just noted down right now is, is just putting the importance of choosing people who are wanting to put their experiences and the worlds that they imagine, you know, down in on paper and, and really creating that. Why is that even important? Well, I mean, in a time where there where people are so uncertain, you know, artists are are the most important people because we we hold the imaginative space open you know you if you can't imagine what's going if if there's a bunch of chaos going around and you can't sort of see your way going forward the imagination is the place where people do that you you can't if you want a better world you have to imagine it first yes yeah you know the the investment and making sure that our artists are at the forefront and and unafraid to ask these large, um, powerful questions is is the job of arts education. It's the job of the mentors. We need to make sure we're making space, but also room, um, uh, space and room, but also um, uh, giving them the tools to practice more radical ways of thinking, radical ways of seeing art and being in community with art. Um, Art isn't, isn't, uh, and has never been, um, just a, a sort of luxury to lull anyone. Um, even music, it at its most um, uh, soothing, can can be doing that for a purpose of healing. It can have an active role in your life. So we can't we can't doubt what artists are doing, what they're up to. We can't we can't make that secondary or something that feels like a luxury. Art is a necessity. Mm. Um, and the more, and the people who want to practice art as a necessity need a place to do that. Yeah. And I think it's so important that you're talking about these tools that, um, as an educator, giving people the tools that they need to open up and have 
these kind of experiences. How much of the art that you see coming out of um, your students and even just people around are kind of um, reflective of their own personal lives, like in a self-reflexive way? Do you encourage students to just really put their own... um, like how you said with with Moonlight, you're putting your own real life story and experiences, telling a story that you really lived. How much of that is happening with the students that you're teaching, or do you encourage? Mm, I mean, first first and foremost, I never sort of encourage people to to write for uh, a sort of uh, psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not in my milieu, and it's not, and even in Moonlight, though there are things that are reflective of scenes and moments from my own life, it's still um, an exercise in creativity because those things have to be strung together. Those, those things didn't happen in that order. Um, and I oftentimes invite people to, to, think about, to think less about writing, you know, documentary or, uh, or being journalists and more so about um, really trying to, exp- to think about the questions that they're asking. Mm-hmm. And those questions have to be personal and intimate, um, and that's what I encourage them to put down. And so around me, the artists, that I really enjoy and the artists who are, um, you know, I'm in charge of sort of uh, helping through this educational process, um, they are locating that question and why it's important to them and why they have no answers to it. Um, and if they start writing questions, so, for, so again, if, if one sits down and goes, well, I'm writing this because here's this thing that happened to me, that's not really a question. Mm. What, I, what actually are you after? What's the, what's the larger question that you're looking for? Why are you investing us and our time in this experience towards what end? What are we looking for here? Um, and as James Baldwin says, those mirrors that are being held up to society are large questions that get us to interrogate ourselves as we, keep, as we walk home away from the theater or from the film or from um, listening to the music. When you can keep listening to it and there's something in there that's questioning you or that you're bringing into your own life, there, there, then an exchange has happened. Um, so I often I often ask ask artists you know are you trying to be famous or are you trying to be an artist first and foremost because fame doesn't you can do a lot to be famous um, and you don't need to go to school for it right <laughs> um, um, but to be an artist takes a rigor it takes a self awareness it takes to, it takes a moment of knowing whether or not you're writing something down because you need to heal from it and that's a whole other process. Right? There's a whole form of process of writing the things down for your own healing. Um, those don't often make great drama. Right. Um, the play, you know, I wrote, a, even there are other pieces that I wrote in and around the time that I wrote in Moonlight Black Boys Look Blue and a play called Brother Size. And, the, and those plays that were just about, you know, oh, I miss my mother or oh, I wish my brother weren't so far away, they were great for me and need to stay in the box for me. But the questions where I was really exploring what it what it means to be um, black male and and have a person who is you know struggling with recidivism um, or the prison industrial complex what what does that mean for our, our relationship that's a larger question that we all battle and that we all engage in and so it becomes a place where we all can talk about so that play which is opening in um, in London. Um, and playing in London right now is a place where you know it came out of something that was personal, but again is a larger question. Um, and similarly with you know a play about Moonlight, there's a play about I wrote a play about missing my mom, but it's a very bad play because mm. I know I miss my mom. 
there's no larger question to it. It just it was great for me to write it all down, and I'm glad I can look at it and read it and understand it for me. But the larger question of what it means to be a young man growing up with a you know uh, uh, un- under the shroud of addiction and the uh, and the sort of uh, the sort of press press pressure of homophobia uh, and trying to make and trying to be to grow into something in a community that doesn't really know where you fit. That's a large question. That's not a question just for one person. It's a question for many people. And I showed, and I think we showed in Moonlight, one person's perspective of that question. And I think there are more questions that can be added to it. And that's how you know you're on to something because you, you, I, don't, I still don't have the answer to what that is. Um, and, I, and I know many people feel, um, uh, you know, passionately in many ways about that question. Um, but if I ask you how I feel about missing my mom, you're going to be like, I don't know. How do you feel? Right. And so there's no, there's no exchange there. Right. It's just me telling you how I feel. And that, and again, that's a different form. There's, there are forms for that, but it may not be this one. Mm, This is, that is such a great uh, way of looking at it because when we ask the question, I guess what you're saying is even though we can be very specific about how we're exploring the answer, the question allows it to be a universal kind of conversation at that point. Right. Yeah, you. All, I mean, again, uh, it should be. You should be. One of the things that was really great about Barry, his sensibility of making films, is that he's not. He was making an experience that the audience could be engaged in, that they had questions about, not something that they would walk away sort of going, "Oh, I know the answer to that," which uh, you know uh, makes him someone to really, really great to collaborate with. Mm, this is amazing. So I, I would love to get into now. You've already given us so many tips, but I would love to kind of officially get into the question that I ask every person that comes on this interview, which is really our three twi- three tips question. And we haven't had any prep or conversation about this for anybody you know listening. So I'm excited actually to to hear about the three tips and which direction you take this in general, Terrell. Yeah. So uh, three tips um, for people trying to make motivation or do anything, do feel necessary, make a motivation and that happens, an active motivation that happens right now. I think the first thing I always do is um, take a deep breath. And I know that sounds crazy, but one of my best friends um, who um, is a, a successful businessman, he he always says if there's something that he has to make a huge decision about, he takes, ten, he takes a, a deep breath and counts to 10 because that allows him to remember that Things are in motion, whether or not he's actually doing anything. Mm. Oftentimes, we feel we feel so suspended by you know inactivity. We feel like, oh, we're not doing enough. We're not, I should be out there. I should be grinding. I should be, but you know, breathing can be enough. Your heart beating and blood flowing through your veins actually is motion. Like there's a rhythm already happening in you right now that means you're alive, and that's all happening. That's a lot. Because some of us didn't have that. Some of us didn't wake up with it this morning. Some of us just lost it right now in this moment. And if you can take a breath, if you can do that, that means you should know that this moment is alive. You you are doing a lot by being right here. Um, and I think particularly for people of color, we often are told that that is not enough. Right. And I think that's a form of that's a form of, of oppression. That's a form of that's a form of uh, system systemic oppression that we've you know internalized that you know I've got to work more I've got I should be up earlier I should be and it's like well you also are and that is enough mm. you being you being able to in, take in air and, and 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 take it out I also think 
the second thing I always say to myself, and again, I'm this these tips may sound like I'm selling this to other people, but I actually have to say these things to myself all the time, <laughs> which is that am I taking enough time to focus on what is important to me and my community? And when I say community, what does that word mean to me? And community sometimes feels large and, you know, can mean lots of things. So I literally will sit there and um, sit in my office sometimes or any place and just imagine my community, the place I grew up, the two neighbors to the left, the two neighbors to the right, the people who were behind us, um, you know, where are they? Uh, does anything I do affect them? Um, the grass in the in the yard across the street, um, the school, the nearest school, the near, you know, who do I, what police person do I know in the neighborhood or do I not know and why don't I know them and what, you know, the, do I know the male person? Like literally, my the, the patch of land that I am on and around how much of it do I affect and how much of it affects me? And in that community, what uh, what can I do? Like, can I, you know, what can I do to that block? And remember to think of them as community when, I, when we use that large word of community. Remember to think of those people immediately left and right. Because sometimes we can think of community and we're thinking about, oh, the people in L.A. And I'm like, well, I've never lived in L.A. And I don't live in L.A. And, and to be thinking about, you know, people in L.A. or D.C. and New York is great. Um, but what are you what are you doing about the people who live in the room across the street, across from across the hall from you? Mm. What are you doing about, you know, wh- how are my brothers and sisters literal? How are my uncles? How are my extent, my cousins? You know, the people. How's my grandmother? How do I treat um, the, the people who are older? How do I treat people who are older in my community and how do I help them, you know, get to this age and stage in life? in comfort yeah am i doing anything what about the very young people you know so i i try to sort of locate that's a second tier and i would only do that after doing the first thing which is again remembering that being here is enough yeah um and then the last thing i often try to do is just laugh at myself (laughs) Um, because i because i i think you know even when you laugh at yourself Sometimes we think we think of that as a negative thing, but I think of it as a positive thing. Because if I can laugh at myself, that means I find some humor and joy in the silliness, the the weirdness that is me. Um, I don't I don't use it as an admonishment. I don't use it as a way of corrective. I go, wow, that was that. I surprised myself. That was thrilling. You, I didn't know you could do that. And that's um, it allows me space to 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 change. Mm-hmm. It allows me space to look at things and say, oh. That's interesting. That's new, um, and and to be able to accept that and move and to keep moving. Yeah, so I, I do, and so I use I use laughing, literally laughing out loud to myself about myself as a way of, as a way of doing that. I'm kind of like as you're talking about that, I'm just seeing this as like a cycle, right? I'm, I'm looking at your three tips as almost like a circle because I'm looking at, I was just thinking of moments when maybe we do something or we interact with somebody in a way that maybe, like you said, unusual or whoa, you haven't expressed yourself in that way before or something that you may even be kind of like, oh shit, I can't believe I, I did that. But then taking a moment and laughing at yourself and exploring what that piece of your life is or what that piece of your personality is taking a deep breath counting to 10 and starting all over again right and re-engaging and re-engaging so this is great and and what um 
when it comes to actual, uh, for all the people out there, because I know I'm sure a lot of people listening to this, there are going to be a lot of perspective like artists or playwrights or screenwriters and, and people like that that are listening to this. Is there any one tip or piece of advice specifically that you could give to them as well as they're on their journey of trying to um, create art? Oh, art creation is, you know, all within the, the, you know, the hands of the artist. And I think, you know, don't, if, if art is what you want to make and art is what you're into doing, be diligent and, and do it. I mean, I know that sounds, can sound daunting, but, you know, if it's really, if you want to make a play and have your friends read it in your, in your, in your living room or, um, you know, just know, just know where you're where you actually have love for, you know, I remember uh, a teacher of mine being, saying, you know, if, if you really love acting, you'll do, you'll do it anywhere and, and still love acting, mm. right? You'll, you'll figure out, you'll figure out ways to do it wherever and still love acting. And, and that's true because I've been in towns where people, you know, have full-time jobs, but they love acting. And so they'll do their full-time job as an accountant and then go act in the evenings and they love it and that's their life. Um, so just be sure of what you actually want to do and, and, and how you can structure your life around that. But if, you know, there are people who are like, well, no, I want, you know, what I actually want is the platform. And, and if that's what you want, then just be clear about it. It's easier that way. It's easier to be like, I just want the platform because there are other ways to it. You know, you don't have to suffer through art because art takes some sacrifice. It does. It just, it just does. It takes up a whole lot of brain space. Um, and it takes up a whole lot of effort, and that sometimes doesn't get materialized in the way you want it. Um, and that can be frustrating. That can be hard to go through. I mean, Lord knows I gave up on things like dance and acting because the the, the amount of vulnerability that they asked for, I just couldn't survive. Mm. Um, and so you just have to be sure. You have to be sure that that's the the thing. And there's nothing wrong with saying, you know what, this isn't my this isn't my avenue. This avenue is is asking for something that I'm not ready to give, um, and, and if you feel like you are ready to give that, then let no let no uh, no weapon formed against you prosper. And I really love that you said. I mean, especially me living. I'm sitting in the you know in the middle of Hollywood right now, and so you know the idea of do you actually want to create art or do you want the platform? I mean, that's a huge question and I think just being it's actually not a huge question it's just something you have to be really honest with yourself about like you said right yep for sure I mean it's just like I said I think it's just easier for you yeah all right I have you know we're almost right on our time so I have one more question for you Terrell Um, if you could look back with everything that you know now today and after everything that you've you've been through and and the successes and the failures and, and all that and you could look yourself in the eye and go back to a younger age and look your younger self in the eye, what would be one piece of advice you would give yourself? Trust your instinct. I say it to myself all the time now, in retrospect to the, this exact question, which is to say, you know, there are so many times that I, I wish I would have just trust, trusted my instinct and mm-hmm. gone forward in the way that I had. Um, but I had been, you know, socialized to not trust myself socialized to think that I was, you know, uh, I had, that my instincts weren't good and that I had to create something extraordinary in order for me to prove that my instincts were right. Um, and, and at the end of the day, that's, 
it's just not true. My instincts were probably 10 times better than, um, because they didn't have these sort of social fissures that I had to re I had to sort of go through. Um, so I think for me, well, not even, I think I know that's something that I, I tell my younger self now, you know, don't, don't waste time, uh, mistrusting your instincts. Even if at the end of the day, your instincts are, you know, overblown. Sometimes, you know, our instincts are, uh, flight or fight. Yeah. Right. And they sort of get, they sort of think we're in danger when we're not. Um, even if it's just looking at that and going, huh, I wonder why I have this instinct right now. Let me look into that. It'll probably go, you'll probably find out why your instinct said that's a dangerous situation and you just didn't, you can't see it. Mm. More often than not, it, and it's true, more often than not, at the end of the time of, or going through something, I'll go, yep, I, I felt this and I knew we were going to come to this spot and here we are. Um, so yeah, just, you know, I always, I would, I always say to myself now and I would, recommend anyone who is you know in their formative years to to take a take a listen to that instinct um it's it's there for a reason i love that it is there's so many times when i feel like your instincts are telling you something that even seems counterintuitive like oh i really should go after this opportunity because it seems like a great opportunity even though your instincts are telling you no and then mm -hmm. three months down the road, you go, and that's why I thought I shouldn't have done it, <laughs> you know, yep. and I didn't know. Yep. It's the same thing. Well, Terrell, I just want to thank you so, so much for taking the time to do this interview today. I'm sure so many people got a lot out of it, and I just thank you for your, your authenticity and just talking to us and keeping it real. Is there anything um, else you'd like to share with people about what you have coming up or even how to see more about what's going on um, in your world that people want to see more? Uh, no, I mean, right now I'm just tr truly trying to work through um, this application process, which is, you know, a daunting one, but a beautiful one and very excited about it. Um, we've got some things coming down the pipeline that I hope we'll announce soon enough. But in the, in the meantime, I just hope everybody's well and I hope everybody's, you know, sort of taking care of themselves and each other in these sort of very chaotic times. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Terrell. And for everybody listening, thank you so much for your time to really taking time for you to feed your mind and feed your artist artist self and your creativity with these motivational interviews. And if you haven't done so already, please go to www.motivationforblackpeople.com where you can sign up and get your email address in there and you'll get weekly motivational tips. We have tons of interviews and inspiration with young creators and leaders who are making history today. And we hope that they inspire you to make history in your own way. This has been Justin Michael Williams and Terrell Alvin McCraney, and I will see you or talk to you on the next interview.